Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. Today I'm joined by Ryan Madras. He's the founder of Winning International, winninginternational.com. He's the author of the book Secrets of the Seven Figure Coach. He's a public speaker and he helps coaches to make the leap to six and seven figure businesses. Up until now, he's worked with over a thousand coaches and he's been an entrepreneur since a very young age. He started a marketing agency with eight employees before the age of 21. He's created a successful app and done it much more. So I'm really excited to have him on the show to see how he's transforming the world through his coaching business and uh, hearing what makes him tick. So thank you so much for being here, Ryan. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Denny. A great little intro there. I really appreciate it and super excited to have a chance to make an impact to the guys listening and, and have a chance to have a good, cool conversation with yourself. So thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for being here. So Perhaps you could tell me and the listeners about, a little bit about your backstory and how did you kind of hit the ground running as an entrepreneur from an early age? Tell me more about your uh, ventures and adventures up until now. <laughs> Great little way to put that. <laughs> <laughs> nice use of words there, Danny. So I'll give you a little bit of my backstory uh, before I started and then when I started. And I'll try to make it as quick as I can because uh, it's a pretty it's a longer story. But I pretty much started out. <laughs> with having a little bit of a rough upbringing. I was always an achiever in school and, you know, there was one point I had a bit of a a drug abusive situation with my family growing up and I remember waking up one morning and just hearing my dad on the phone just say, you know, what do you mean you're not coming back? And and it was those those words that echoed that signified the fact that my mum had left and I was 13 at this stage and literally didn't see her for the next four years, uh, which was terrifying for me because I was very, very close with my mom. I wasn't very close with my dad. So that was pretty, you know, that was, that was quite an epic little shock to my system. And it really, it really did shock me in the way that I was living my life. So I was obviously, I just transitioned to school and I I pretty much lost all my confidence. Uh, My grades dropped because obviously confidence helps every area of life. So when I lost my confidence, I lost my friends. I lost, you know, my ability to succeed academically, my sports went downhill, everything pretty much dropped, which was just shattering to me. And it took me a few years. It probably took me until I was about the age of uh, 15, 16 to really get out of that funk, so to speak. And I used to be a massive golfer. I was always into sport and golf was great for me at this point going through these tougher years. And I'm sure people have had much tougher upbringings and gone through way worse. But for me, it was a lot at the time. And so I used to use golf as an outlet. So I play golf, you go on the course, a lot of the time the course is very quiet and peaceful and I could just be alone and and do my own shit. And so I used to really enjoy doing that. And I had this mentor at the club I used to play at, whose name was David and I really looked up to him. He he was trying to do something with his life. He was probably about 25 at this point, about 10 years older than me. And he, he, this one day, he pretty much turned around to me when we were playing a, a round of golf and he said, Ryan, if you sh- shoot this certain score today, I'll, I'll buy you an iPod for your birthday. And for me at this point, I mean, that would have just meant the absolute world. So I was like, you're on, Dave. Bring it on. Let's do this. And I ended up shooting the score. But the really cool thing was he did buy that iPod for me. But when I got it and I looked on it, he'd actually slapped a bunch of, you know, all I see is, you know, Audio track one, Tony Robbins. Audio track two, Tony Robbins. He's put all these tapes on there. I was like, who the hell is this Tony Robbins guy? And obviously, we know who Tony Robbins is. And obviously, listening to those tapes made a massive impact on my life. That really signified the start of my personal development journey. Being probably halfway through my schooling, I slowly started to make changes and came out of high school just having switched but regretting not taking enough leadership opportunities and academic opportunities and sports and social opportunities in school, I pretty much went on a mission of self-development, which is what really attracted me to business. And I knew I wanted to be in, in a situation living the uh, life of my dreams. I knew I wanted to make the most of my life. At some point, I'd always known that from an early age that I wanted to do something with my life. And this was my opportunity. So I left school and I just went on an opportunity. I just went on a pretty much a rampage of self-development and growth opportunities and embracing fears and improving my confidence. 
And that's when I that's when I started in business. So I started out doing some affiliate marketing stuff at quite a young age, like before I'd finished school. And as soon as I finished school, I uh, I ended up starting in sales. I did public speaking stuff, did anything to put myself outside my comfort zone. But the first real business that I started was cold calling tradies, like plumbers, roofers, builders, on try to on trying to sell them a website. And for me, that was extremely daunting. But I would cold call for eight hours a day, all day, every day, and uh, built a little six-figure business off that, uh, which was really, really cool. It was awesome for me. It was obviously, a lot of self-development in the in the calling and the sales, but it was a it was a it was really good to finally have some independence and be taking control of my life. So that was exciting. And then, pretty much between that stage and starting winning international, right towards the end of that, you mentioned the the digital agency I had up with a team of eight, which was my pride and joy at the time, but it wasn't aligned with my passion. It was my focus in business, but it wasn't quite what I was felt like I was born to do. I knew that something was missing. So I did this really interesting activity where I it was like, holy crap, I don't feel fulfilled. I don't know why. I don't know what to do. And so usually what happens when I have a hurdle or a challenge is I look at the result that I want and I reverse engineer my way back to see what it's going to take to achieve that result. And in this case, that meant pretty much going out there and uh, putting putting myself in the shoes of being at the end of my life and just looking at even my funeral and imagining what people would say about me in my own eulogy. So I tested myself to write out my own eulogy. For me at this point, it was absolutely was hugely daunting because growing up, I always had a massive fear of death. But what it enabled me to do is realize that, sure, I'd been successful in business and I built up this cool financially successful business and I had some other ones in the past that were doing quite well. But none of these things were what I was born to do. None of these things was what I was put on this earth to do the impact I was meant to have. And I realized at that point it had nothing to do with success, nothing to do with performance. It was to do with how many lives I touched, how many people that I impacted. And that's what set me on my mission, which was to uh, change a billion lives and raise a billion dollars for charity. Uh, a billion lives is helping people whose lives I can directly change to live more empowered and help more people. And the billion dollars for charity was to help the people that couldn't fend for themselves. Didn't get the opportunities that we get in the Western world to absolutely thrive and have whatever we want happen uh, based on our ability to go out there and chase it. You can craft your life however you want, but some people are born into poverty-stricken nations where they're diseased. I'm sure you saw a lot of that in India on your recent trip, Danny. It's crazy. Um, and so I said, okay, I want to make a massive impact in, in their lives. And that's when I just put a massive halt on everything I'd been doing and, and took the leap of faith and started winning international, which is what I do now. So my specialties are in fast paced growth, marketing, sales, and growing things quickly. Um, so hopefully that helps with the backstory. Is there any questions about that, Danny? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so much I can pick apart there. So your, your mother left when you were 13. You turned to sports. You got into golf as kind of an outlet. And then you started yeah. a marketing agency. What, what, what age were you when you started that? Uh, I was 18 when I started my the first marketing agency. And then in between then and before I started, right before I started winning, were multi, there were different marketing agencies. It was always kind of my fallback. It was my cash cow because I knew how to do it. So that was the first business that I that I ran when starting and the first successful one and the last successful one I ran before start, before going into winning international. But in between there, you know, as, a, as you know, I started the app. Uh, I was a dating coach. I had a SaaS product for personal trainers. I had multiple other businesses that were just all over the place, to be honest with you, because I was lacking focus. I didn't actually know what I really wanted to do. So it was so <laughs> easy to chop and change and move around because I didn't have any massive attachment to anything except for PT sites, the SaaS product for personal trainers because I invested over 30 grand in that. Um, but it wasn't really a passionate uh, attachment. It was more of a financial attachment. So let's, let's, yeah. let's hone in on that for a second, though. So, I mean, from 18 to 21, you built a marketing agency that uh, was earning seven figures. I mean, that's, that's certainly uncommon. That's, that's something that a lot of people don't, don't do. You know, that's something pretty unique there. So can you tell me how did you uh, grow that in just three years when you were 18, when you had no entrepreneurial experience or background? I mean, what was the key to this, your success? Yeah, cool. So I didn't actually have – it wasn't actually doing seven figures. To be honest with you, I never ran the agency for more than a year in a row to get it to that point. But if you were to future pace the, the coming year, it would have done seven figures. Um, but essentially what I focused on 
when I was building the, the digital agency to get it to that point of that level of financial success, which is what, I'm a, what I specialize at, was really focusing in on the growth element. You know, I talk, I talk a lot about growth activities, so on the business activities versus in the business activities in business. Obviously, in the business is more operations, admin, planning, and anything in between, which is more to keep the business going. Whereas if you want to drive and get fast growth, you need to focus on what's going to push the business forwards, which is marketing, sales, thought leadership systems, hiring, all the on-the-business stuff. So what, what I've kind of specialized at is the on-the-business stuff. So the things that are going to drive rapid client growth and, and go into things from that angle, and that's how I was able to get sales very quickly because I spend my time on the things that matter as opposed to spending my time in what was comfortable. And it was obviously going to stay comfortable just to be in the operations, which is where most people stay, uh, as opposed to driving the growth is, is nerve-wracking. Nerve You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to invest money in marketing. You've got to sell. And usually those things are the activities that frighten people off starting a successful business when they're in the startup phase because it's the most daunting. So I kind of was equally scared because, as, as I said, I was, you could probably notice I'm, I'm quite confident and, and certain about myself now after years of practicing certainty but if you go back then when I first started it was just terrifying for me to do sales calls anything like that was just way outside my comfort zone and it is for pretty much everyone I believe starting out with sales it's it's not easy to do but those kind of on the business growth activities are what create growth and if you look at the average business owner let's just say a plumber for example or over a whole year they might get a website built, that might be one thing. They might put a, an ad in their local directory, that might be two. They might pay for SEO, that might be three activities that they do. And then the fourth might be sign writing on their vehicle in the business. And the whole year, they're kind of the, the only growth activities they do. The rest of the time, they're working and they're actually doing their trade. They're being a technician in the business, which is not is just going to keep it going, which is why if you go over five years or so, and they do an average of four per year. They've taken 20 what I call steps over a five-year period, and that's kind of accurate. It probably does take a tradie about five years to get to six figures in their business of, of growth. However, if you look at kind of the clients that I work with, I get them to six figures sometimes within one or two weeks and certainly over an eight-week period because all I'm doing is cramming those 20 steps that people usually draw out over ages into you know whatever a very quick period of time so they might a given week for our high-end clients they might be you know making eight sales like having eight sales calls converting people into their program they might be doing a bunch of podcasts a bunch of blogs launching a webinar launching another funnel sequence sending emails out to their list it's all growth activities and obviously they have to do the other stuff but it's much easier to do the other stuff off the back end of doing the harder things first Whereas if you do the easy stuff first, then the harder stuff never comes usually. Uh, so that that's my view around fast growth. Okay, so walk me through the process uh, a little bit more because um, I've had other guests. We've had other guests on this call, um, you know, who have shared how they get their clients. I mean, you, you've gotten over a thousand clients up to this point. Uh, Derek, yeah. Derek, uh, who was on our, our podcast, Derek Pankow, he he had great success with Facebook ads. I've had great success with email. Uh, James Tramco, he's had great success with referrals and, and stuff like this. So what's, what's worked really well mm. for you? Yeah, cool. Great question. So at the moment, I've done two, used two main strategies to get people into the business uh, to actually extend the growth and, and really push the growth, one of which is joint venture partnership and the second of which is online marketing, mainly through Facebook ads, uh, just like you mentioned with Derek, and I think think it's kind of the in the in thing at the moment because everyone's on there. The reason it works is because obviously your messaging has to be able to scratch, but you can certainly target the people that you're trying to target because everyone's on Facebook. That's why TV ads get a lot of traction. Or TV ads uh, are very expensive because there's so many people engaging. You know, Facebook ads are great because everyone's on there. It doesn't mean that do Facebook ads work or not? Yeah, it can work and not work depending on how strong your message is and how well you target the people. But it's a platform that gives you access to everyone, which is why it's powerful. JVs is a joint venture partnership where it's a win-win. And so you find another business that has also got a database of people that you work with, but they don't have a competing product. So you can work complementary to each other and help each other grow. And you can refer people their way. They can refer people your way. Or you can help them out in different ways and they help you out with the clients. I only use JVs to get new clients. So I only look to help 
to work with people using JVs if it means that I'm going to get more clients. But to be honest with you, I do less of that now, a lot less of that now. Um, but I, it was pretty much what got me to seven figures, to be honest with you, more of the JVs in the short term. And now Facebook ads are the main thing. I always used both. But, yeah, I think it's important to have a really good focus with one. And if I could start out and, and have my way again, I would have started with Facebook ads and just continued to grow with that. And Facebook ads, people could argue, yeah, what happens if Facebook goes down? Well, to succeed in Facebook ads, you need to be a master of marketing. It's, you can't just be a master of Facebook to succeed at Facebook ads. And that same ability that you take into to using Facebook ads as a platform, you can then take across to any platform. So YouTube marketing or Instagram marketing, it's kind of the understanding of how to formulate a message in an effective manner to the right people. And it doesn't matter where you do that. If you're good at it, you can do it in uh, by sending out bulky mail. You can do it with Facebook ads. You can do it through a third-party site that's got access to your target market. But yeah, Facebook ads and, and joint venture partnerships. So for someone who's never tried either of these things, could you uh, break down the process? Because you're giving me a lot of bait here when you <laughs> mentioned uh, joint venture partnerships. That will got, that's what got you to seven figures. And you're leaving this bait out. i got to follow up and bite on it. So if, if you could tell me the process. Like oh, how, cool. do you, how do you find these people? Um, what kind of uh, deal do you offer them? How do you set up? Uh, like do you have a product and you just say, I'll give you 50% of you know, whoever signs up for this product? Is that how it works? Yeah, sure. So I'll go through JVs first. And the only reason I didn't go too deep into them is because I could probably – I've run two-day events just on JVs and I've run two-day events just on Facebook ads so I could talk about them all day. Well, I'd but love the, to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, cool. I'm, I'm happy to share. I'm definitely not going to hold back. So joint ventures are all based around, as I said, you know, creating a win-win-win, you know, a win for you. Obviously, that's where the clients come in. That's where you get the access to their database. It's a win for them because that you have to provide some kind of win for them based on their incentives and where they're at in their business. Not everybody is driven by leads and that's a big kind of story that you need to be and a belief you need to adopt in order to succeed with JVs because a lot of people feel that people are solely driven by leads. So if you want leads, then they're going to want leads. But people are at different stages of the business. Like I'm not driven by leads at the moment. <laughs> I couldn't care less. It's like I'm about to run an uh, event over in the US with a, with a so-called big dog. I can't say who the person is, but they've got over 2 million um, over 2 million YouTube subscribers and doing it, hopefully, that's not 100% yet, but tying that up. But I'm only doing that for to associate myself with that person because I think they're a great person and it's going to be great for my brand. But I'm not looking to get clients, make money. Like, in fact, I'm probably going to fork out close to $35,000 just to have the potential to run the event. So not everyone, even though if you're at the stage where you want leads, all you want is leads. But for other people, sometimes they've got different motivations. Sometimes it's retention. Sometimes it's another strategy they haven't considered. Maybe they want your service of what you what you do or what you deliver with. You might be having a finance background and you could offer them help with their finance. So don't always think that you have to give them what you want. Just go in with an open mind. So my kind of premise behind it is you have to get the front door first when you're going to. That's the hardest bit. You're going to make contact with them. And I talk about two main ways to make contact. Uh, the first thing is you need either an insider or to be really, really creative with your entry or both. So you need to be an insider, really creative with the entry or both. So I'll give you an example of a friend of mine that went in. So he pretty much is a, he owns a bike store. His name's Steve. He's a really awesome guy. And he was trying to secure a tender that was put out for pure blonde beer, which is a, a popular beer here in Australia. And they were doing a promotion where they were, were going to give away 1,500 bicycles and so they put out a tender to try to get a bike manufacturer to come up with the best price, with the best quality product. And there was about 50 bike stores slash manufacturers trying to compete for this tender. And so what he did is he made the bike up exactly how he thought that it should be done. And he got a six-pack of Pure Bond beer. He got a proposal and he rode the bike into the head office with a six-pack of Pure Bond beer and a pr proposal and offered to take the take the uh, creative director, the person who was managing the campaign, out for a beer, <laughs> to have a beer, popped open a beer, gave him the bike and the, the six-pack, and they sat down and had a chat, and he got the tender. So that's a creative entry. He didn't have an insider, but he substituted creativity to get in there, <clears throat> which is really cool. I, I just love that example. I thought it was genius. His sister, actually, this guy Steve that I'm talking about, sister, runs a marketing agency and to secure Jetstar, which is a big uh, air, airplane 
um, whatever. It's a, it's a flight. Uh, it's a type of plane here. So it's, it's a kind of cheap airline. And to get them as a client from a marketing point of view, they create this big Lego sculpture that could move. And they, they sent it into their head office and then it moved along and it said press, press this and they pressed it and it opened up like a secret compartment in this big Lego thing and it had an invitation to do free marketing for them for a week and they did free marketing for these guys for a week and then they did such a great job that they secured Jetstar as a client, which is a massive deal. But it's another example of creative entry. So either insider or creative. If you want to use LinkedIn, LinkedIn is a great resource to try to find insiders within organizations and make friends with them and just be genuine and nice and therefore get a link into someone within the organization having been referred on so there's that trust and then you've got your foot in the front door. That's, that's step one. Uh, step number two is you need, to, uh, you need to figure out what they want and what they are driven by. You can do as much research as what you think that, that individual or company or person is driven by. And let's be honest, if we've got a startup, we should also, I talk about, you know, small fish and whales. There's small fish, uh, there's whales, and then there's like a marlin. A marlin meaning it's a metaphor for the the quality of JV that you set up. If you want to land a whale, you've got to be willing to work longer, harder, be more creative on the entry, be offering more. It's like I've got another friend that secured a, a deal with Harvey Norman to do all their logistics and it was like a $5 million deal, but he literally just offered to do their logistics for a whole week for free, which is a massive investment to do that. But there was, it was a mile, it was a, sorry, it was a whale client. So if you want to land a whale, you've got to put in a much more effort versus a mile and where you can kind of mid range. And I feel like most of the guys in here should be going for small fish or, or, or marlins, uh, based on the premise that you probably are a small fish starting out and obviously use this as a way to grow your business and that's okay to be smaller but we also you know need to spend our time where we can get a kind of a quick return so when you go in there you want to find out what they're driven by and you want to have all these creative ideas around how you can help them it's not about you you don't want to win in the short term to be successful in business you have to be playing a long-term game so you want to go in there purely from the uh, point of view is you want to help them because you believe in their vision you want to connect visions and you want to help them as much as possible almost without trying to get anything in return. You don't want to get anything in return to start with. Um, and then after a, a couple of meetings, then you drop in the fact that you'd love to help them even more by providing value to their audience and doing what I call a conversion event. So you, you, you want to get your, yourself to a point where you're providing value to their audience and doing that regularly. And then you, you do a conversion event where you can actually get people through the door from their, their audience. But it's a it's a slower process, but I've set up, like as I said, I got to seven figures using it and I got some great audience uh, audiences. You know, one was a Facebook group that I joined early on where I really helped the person that ran the group who ended up becoming a client. Um, they had a, around 10,000 of our target market in a group and I pretty much helped this person with all their marketing and set up their business and strategize everything that I could. So I was helping with what they needed and then they ended up becoming a JV and uh, just allowing me to promote in their group. And I got a couple hundred clients through that over maybe six months, which is pretty awesome. So that's just an example. So that's really what you want to do. You want to go and look into help and then make the transition to giving them a little tester where you can start to give phenomenal value because it needs to be a win for you, a win for them. And the win for them is you're such a genuine person and you're helping them out with where they need help. Um, and also with any resources you have, they can give help. But then you want to make sure that you're also giving phenomenal value and advice to their audience so it's a win for the end user as well. So you want it to be a win for the end user, a win for the actual organization or the individual that runs the business. And then a win, obviously the win for you is going to be based on their database size, et cetera. Yeah, so that's a little bit about JVs. Would okay, you like me so, to talk through? So, so Facebook group owners, that's a great tip. Um, what Facebook group was this and um, you know, what niche were you targeting and how do you recommend finding these uh, influencers? Yeah, sure. So I'm I'm not going to mention which group it is, just to because I don't okay. want the person I don't want the person to to make to be made to feel smaller by me helping them out. Well, if you could um, tell me about the niche and, and how you how yeah, you found them, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's more than okay. And you more you can ask for anything. I'll just if it's if I don't think it's right, I just won't tell you. Um, so yeah, uh, pretty much. You, obviously, niche is something that you want to establish first and foremost before anything else. So once you're clear in your niche, that's where you should be doing a bunch of research. You just just as a general marketing rule of thumb. Because niche is the premise behind which I like to use. I talk about three kind of ways to find JVs. You want to find people that are the same 
uh, like having the same niche but different. You want to find people that are uh, thought leaders in your niche um, as, a, as a kind of like a, there's going to be people, I would kind of almost say that they're whales, but some people in your industry that are thought leaders don't have like a solid back-end product and so they don't make as much cash as they could. And if you can offer them kind of a commission to promote to their audience, then a lot of the time they're actually up for it, which is pretty interesting. Um, so you want to offer people that have the same niche and you want to offer people who um, when you're going in, just anyone that it's all surrounded by the niche. So when you're trying to find a JV partner, the just general rule of thumb is who, who do I have in my niche? A really cool way to, to find that out is you can use audience insights on Facebook and kind of go to a page where you know your audience is and then find out the people that like that page. What other interests do they have? And that can give you some really cool insights. But you just want to put yourself in the, in the eyes and in, in, in the head of your target market or your niche and just, and just try to think where do they go, what do they do, uh, who do they interact with, what brands do they like, what thought leaders do they look up to, what books do they read. And the best way to do that is just by speaking to them. It's what I call a niche insider. If you can have someone that's kind of like an inside man uh, or woman based on who your niche is, they can give you really good feedback, not just uh, on where to find people, but on your marketing material, on your course products, on pretty much everything. Then that can be a really valuable person to have to give you that real feedback. So, yeah, that's, that's what I would pretty much do. Um, yeah. And then you ask some of these influencers to help uh, share your stuff with them, and then you, they go through your funnel, and then you uh, give them percentage of people who sign up. But what are your price points? Like, how do what do you what do you offer? Like, you offer a free book to these people? Is that right? Yeah. So what I usually tend to to say is exact same process I mentioned with the other JVs. You go in there, you look and figure out how to help them first. You shouldn't be going then talking about anything that you want in return. It's just about them. So you don't go in saying, hey, cool, I offer big high permission, uh, commissions. You go in trying to be normal, have a conversation, um, but be fun and kind of drop uh, what I call your biggest trust builders. So talk about the biggest factors that you, know, you have for your brand so you can extend that out. Like you, Let's say, for example, you had – 35 Facebook likes, but then you've worked with like three big thought leaders, then don't mention the Facebook likes, but mention the thought leaders. If you'd won awards, um, but you, you know, your product, your brand new in the business and you'd leverage off the awards, but you wouldn't mention the fact that you're brand new. So you want to kind of leverage off the biggest trust factors that you have casually in conversation, be normal, just be nice, uh, connect visions with them. And figure out what they want so you can start to actually be, some, be someone's bringing tremendous value to them. And then by giving lots of value to them, then when it does come, come time to actually ask, remember I mentioned the consistent value, the consistent content to their audience. So you start with really low-risk consistent value, which would be videos, blog posts, just value within emails, maybe doing some free. A conversion event, like I mentioned, is what you want to work towards which is a seminar, a webinar, a challenge, so a series of content over a period of seven days or so. And that's where you can convert people because you can sell from those things. But in the lead up, when you go to them first, then you can get them to do more micro steps. So you can get them to do like a, maybe even just a hook or a lead magnet, some kind of ebook or report, but you're not going to convert anyone from that. It's just to give free value. So you want to give as much free front-end value first and be consistent with that, then schedule a conversion event, and that's where you can get them through the door. And if they're someone that – if you've helped them enough, a lot of the time they won't even want a financial return. But if they do, then, yeah, just figure out a percentage that you'd be willing to give to them. I like that idea as a conversion event, like a seven-day challenge, something like that. I kind of um, It's almost like a, an excuse or an alibi to get them into your funnel. Because you're, yeah, exactly. you're creating a marketing event, I guess, and that's that's brilliant. I know that yeah, you've done you. you've done some other uh, interesting marketing tactics where you uh, will record a video where you're just giving a hundred dollars away to people, stuff like that. Yeah, to, you, to be honest with you, that was that had nothing to do with my business. That was more of a personal project um, well, to you, grow. You, you say that, but I think the video got like more than four hundred, or got almost four hundred shares or something like that, right? Yeah, I think it's hopefully it's had over a thousand now. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah so that, that got you a lot of uh, exposure. A lot of people, um, you know, now they know who you are, whereas they didn't before. So I think it, from a marketing yeah. point, it was brilliant. Yeah, that's what I call with uh, I call it creative videos, and uh, it's going over and above with what you would normally put out. So let's say, for example, you have got a fitness coach that's trying to market. Maybe instead of just putting out a 
a video giving value talking about being a fitness coach. Maybe you go and interview people in the, in the street, make it creative. Or maybe you uh, talk, instead of making, talking about how to eat healthy cheap, one of our clients took $10 to a fast food restaurant, $10 to uh, a grocery store and got a bunch of healthy food with $10 and then you got a bunch of junk from a fast food thing, threw that shit in the bin and filmed the whole thing like a journey and experience. So it's creative and it got a bunch of, it maybe got 5,000 views versus if he'd just done it, because he's not, a, he's not a big brand yet, but if he'd done that just with a face-to-camera kind of quick little video, you know, maybe it gets like 50 or 100 views. So just that creativity that you can put forwards and stand out I think goes a long way. Another example is a conversion event we're running at the moment um, that we, we run them every week, so different you know, experiment with different ones. But instead of just doing a sales webinar, I'm doing a live objection handling webinar. So I'm going to get people on and they're going to challenge me with objections and I'm going to handle their objections live. So that's just an example of something that is creative. Like, yeah, I could do a sales webinar, but people see sales webinars all the time. It's nothing new. But if you can put that creative edge on it and just put that extra little piece of effort, then you can get so much more traction. But that, you know, I talk about there's conversion events where you can get not even events, but just conversion opportunities where you can generate leads that you can actually speak to and then attempt to convert to your premium products. And then there's front-end value. And what I think you need to do is start off getting your solid back-end piece in place and having it really high quality, understanding your market, getting your price points right, getting that program solid, and then have some really good conversion strategies. But then you want to go crazy with the front-end. You want your front-end to be super wide, super big, and then channeling them and funneling them in so you've got as much trust around your you, – that stuff's cheaper. It's cheaper to put out value. It's cheaper to put out front-end stuff. And the more front-end stuff that you put out, you know, the more people are going to be open to looking at your conversion stuff. But so many people just try to slap up an ad for a, a three-day event and just expect people, even though they've got no idea who that person is, to want to buy and come. <laughs> it's just it, – it doesn't make sense because if you put yourself in the shoes of the, buy, of the people you're marketing to – then you clearly understand that they would never do it because you yourself, the person marketing this three-day event, wouldn't go to someone else's three-day event if they never knew idea who it was, um, even if it was three, because that's a massive risk. So if you're doing lots of front-end free value, uh, it's going to make your ads cheaper for your conversion events and get a lot more people interested. Yeah, so front-end products can be like an Amazon book. It can be blog posts, podcasts, uh, stuff like this to get people familiar with you. Yeah. Yeah, but um, can, you, can you tell me, I know that the money is obviously made on the back end. That's where the, uh, the real profit is. So can you tell me a little bit about your back end products and what you help yeah, people definitely. create and price points? Yeah, definitely. We've got a, an eight-week program that's 5K and a 12-month program that's 20K. Uh, one's called six-figure coach. One's called seven-figure coach. Obviously, the longer-term one's seven-figure coach. And our promise for the eight-week is that we'll work with them until they hit six figures in their coaching product. Obviously, that's a big promise. So we qualify people pretty well and make sure they've got a profitable niche. And then essentially we just have to help them make a couple of grand a week, which isn't very hard. Um, and they, yeah, they, they transform because we help them with the, the uh, back end, uh, because we help them actually focus on results and uh, have a solid back end with a profitable niche. It, it's not that hard to get people results because they're great at the front end. They're great at the delivery. They're great at helping people in their own life because we work with coaches. However, they don't, they're not naturally super good at, at the business side of things. So, And the business side of things, aren't. it's not hard to get to six figures. Going from six to seven is another deal. And going from seven, like a million dollars to five million dollars is you know, the two massive leaps. But 100,000 is not hard because you can do everything yourself and keep it quite a small operation without hitting too many issues. Um, so it's quite easy to get that initial piece of growth. <clears throat> yeah, so I could, what I could go through, which might be helpful is what I would consider to be the four Fs of a world-class product because this is what we encompass in all our products and also what we focus heavily on when we work with coaches creating a, a premium product themselves. Is that something you'd like me to go through? Yeah, that would be great. I would love to, to learn more about how you, you help them in the process that you use. So. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah. All right, so as I said, I kind of, I've got this diagram that I use and it's pretty much why, how, and what. So the, the why of creating a world-class product, why would you create one, is because it's going to give you retention and it's going to give you referrals. Uh, how you do it is by delivering results and experience. Uh, sorry, what you do is deliver results and experience and how you do it is by these four Fs, these four Fs to creating a world-class product. So the first one is framework. Framework is content. It's strategy. It's helping people from start to 
uh, to finish throughout a process to, to get to that outcome. All the coaches we work with have a profitable niche, meaning they solve a massive problem that in their target market's mind is the biggest thing holding them back and they solve that for them so they can warrant a premium investment. People are happy to pay because a big problem is being solved. So once they've got that, uh, it's about helping them. That, that's a per, first part of the framework and then the rest of the framework is about running that program, uh, marketing and selling and, and getting that traction so they move from desperation to inspiration. How, how can they get their safety covered for themselves so they can start actually um, you know, really starting to work from inspiration and expand the vision exponentially, which is a cool part that we want people to get to. So uh, that's the first one, framework, strategy. And the second F is focus. And I feel like this is the one that most coaching products lack. Focus kind of comes in two main categories. There's the macro focus and the micro focus. The macro focus is helping them get very, very laser focused on their long-term vision. So it's the big scale, the big picture, where do they want to be, what's their goal, what's their purpose, what's their vision, getting them really clear on where they're going based on where they are now. Uh, Then the micro focus is keeping them on track to that, and that's the hardest point. That's the hardest part as well because if you're trying to work with someone, you can give them all the strategy, but unless they implement it, nothing is going to change. And most people have so much fear around achieving that thing that they want to achieve, overcoming that problem that they have. You get a lot of resistance throughout that process. So accountability, support, and helping people along that journey to stay focused. So macro is getting the focus. Micro is staying along that journey until they hit the outcome. And that balance for the second F of the four Fs is super important with focus. So there's framework focus. The third one is family. So having a community. So when people are down, they get lifted up by the community. When people share wins, it lifts everyone else up as well, which is really cool. And then, and lastly, fun. You know, having the one percenters in place, making your program a world-class experience, having a framework and then focus alone can deliver phenomenal results. But the, the family and the fun turn those results into a phenomenal experience and you need to have that what? Like you need to have the results and the experience to be able to have a phenomenal program. It's not just about getting people an outcome, but they want to enjoy the process and want to stick around. It's really important. So can you walk me through those points again, the, the why, the what, and the how? Oh, so, the, so the why uh, was you want to create a world-class program. World so that program. You, yeah, you want to create a world-class program for the sole reason that you can have better retention and uh, get referrals. So R and R, retention, referrals. The what is to get people results. Like what do you have to do to get the, that outcome? What do you have to do to get retention and referrals? Well, you need to get people results and deliver an, an experience. And the way that you get people results uh, and give them an experience is the four Fs. So framework, focus, family, and fun. Okay. We're, we're going to put a summary uh, in this in the show notes in case it moves too quickly for anyone here. Uh, yeah, I'm tr- I want to go through as much stuff as possible yeah, so yeah, 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 they yeah. can watch the replay if they need to or whatever. You, you get on a lot of points really quickly, and I want to make sure that uh, people can follow along here. So <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, but, of course. But, but they can get more info from your book, right? The uh, Secrets of Seven Figure Coach. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I put together a, a mammoth book, might I say. It was, it was a lot. It took a, a lot of effort. It's 400 and something pages. It's got over 100 diagrams and it's over 100,000 words. It's a bit of a beast, um, but it's well worth the read if you're a coach. If you're not a coach, then it's, it's not going to service you too much. Um, but if you're in business and in, in the business of helping other people change their lives and you know, you're a fitness coach, life coach, dating, relationship, business coach, mindset coach, you're some kind of coach, then it's pretty much the. It's been dubbed the Bible for coaches because it, I do cover everything from a business point of view, and how to run your program, start your program, market, sell, systemize, uh, get exposure with the big thought leadership stuff. Uh, I really do cover it all, and you can get more in that. But again, if you, if if I go too fast over something in this interview, just just rewind back and listen over again, and hopefully it, it sinks in better. Um, because I don't want you to miss any value. I just want to cover as much as I can so you guys get as much value in the, the time that we have. Is that, is that available for free? How can, how can you get that? Yeah, if you go to winningintернational.com, you can go and you can grab a, a free co- copy of the book. At the moment, we don't have people distributing it from the U.S. So if you're from the U.S., postage is a little bit more, so you cover the postage. I'll, I've paid for the, the cost of the printing of the book, and to be honest with you, I actually put it out, the shipping too cheap, and I've been losing money. <laughs> not even that's just on the shipping and i've been paying for the book um but if you're getting quick you might get it 
with me getting a loss. If not, I would have bumped up the shipping a little bit to cover it properly. Um, but yeah, you can go and grab it for for free from the website. Is there any reason why you prefer a hardcover book versus an ebook? Um, I just feel like people value it more. If someone's got a book in their hand, it's uh, it's perceived value. It's thud factor. It's a it's a heavy book. So if it's in person, you could do some damage if you're using it as a weapon. So uh, be careful if you, if you <laughs> grab a copy. But it's just thud factor. It's if you've got a tangible book, the perceived value and authority as well, because anyone can create an ebook uh, relatively quickly. But if you've gone to the effort to uh, literally write a massive book that's not an ebook, you obviously have to get it edited. You have to get it formatted. You have to get it printed. So it's perceived value because you, you have to invest a lot. Like it costs tens of thousands of dollars to put this book together. I, I wrote it quite quickly, but it's a, a ton of value in there. And I feel like it does it justice by having it as a, as a hardcover book. You told me before the call that one of the things that you love to do the most is interviewing the case studies of some of the people you've worked with. Can you tell me a little bit about those uh, success stories like a and tell me what they did, how they were successful. Yeah, cool. So we've got lots of clients that thrive really quickly uh, that we work with just because we, when we work with people, there's a like I was talking about that focus element of the four Fs. So we, we put a massive emphasis on helping people stay focused on their journey, which is a lot of accountability. So if people, we identify what they have to do on a weekly basis, they choose it, but we moderate it, make sure they're doing really awesome stuff. And then if they don't get their stuff done, they get a call. Uh, an accountability call, more like a grilling, uh, to keep them on track so they build a habit of getting the important things done regularly. So, yeah, that's that's a big reason behind why we get our clients really quick results. Obviously, the strategy is tip-top, but you, know, you can get strategy elsewhere. Like there's, there's only a certain way to do things, and what we do gets phenomenal results. So, yeah, some of the clients' results, we have one person that done nothing for six months in their business because really overwhelmed and you know, we have a massive focus and balance between mindset help and strategic help. And so some of the mindset stuff, like people have a breakthrough session when they join with their coach. So one um, lady that joined, Wendy, had literally been procrastinating for six months in her business because she was quite overwhelmed and did a breakthrough session, cleared that stuff, and then strategically I you know, mapped out a bit of a hustle plan for her and then she made $60,000 uh, in her first week in the business, which was crazy, um, with a brand new product and everything, which is awesome. That's one example. We had another guy that what, made what thirty-five. Was the product? What was the product, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, she had a twelve-month coaching certification product. It was fifteen k. So she made four sales at fifteen k, wow. which was a ma- which is a massive leap up because uh, before that, uh, she was just doing kind of one-on-one uh, psychology almost. Uh, she was doing like counseling sessions and stuff. So I pretty much really forced her to raise her standards uh, and run that's that. That's a terrifying so, thing for a lot of people just to charge $15,000 for one client. Yeah, so, and, and most people I don't put straight onto that. Most people I get to sell. <laughs> I, I teach two kind of products. One's called a keystone and one's called a core. A keystone is usually a six, eight, or 12-week product for an education uh, coaching-based product. And then a core product is a three, six, or 12-month. So they've got different formats. A keystone product is more of a... A sequence, so you come in at one point, you finish at another point, whereas the core product is more of a modular activity. If you've got a 12-month program, you want people to be able to join at any stage throughout the year so you can continually feed people into that process. So, yeah, for her, based on where she was at, um, I just made the call that it was best for her to start with the core, but most people start with a keystone, which is the cheaper one. So a keystone is usually between 1 and 10K, and a core is usually between 5 and 50K, uh, just based on the value that they're offering and which audience they're targeting and their self-worth obviously has a lot to play with the price point as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's an example. She's a great lady. Um, we had another person, Darren, who literally made 35 K in his first three weeks after he'd done again, very, very similar, actually just coincidentally six months of not doing much. And he'd pretty much quit his job and his family was counting on him to make stuff work. And, um, yeah, he he wasn't doing anything except for in the business stuff as opposed to the on the business stuff he wasn't doing. And then I just pretty much got him cranking into the on the business stuff, got him a 5K program to sell, and he made seven sales in the first three weeks, which was awesome. So he made 35K, which is a great little story. Um, I had someone, Lyndon, a really nice guy, who started four weeks ago, and he's made 100K in the, in the first four weeks, and he's a, he's a dad of five, the most heart-centered guy 
he had a really weird business name. He literally just started and he put up a business page, but he didn't know what product to sell. He didn't know where to start. And I pretty much, I can't remember his business name, but it was something like, you know, Excel coaching or something. And I changed it because he was targeting tradies. <laughs> well, I got him to target tradies because that's where his experience was. And he had a successful trade business before. He just had no idea how to. Marketing for a coaching business is completely different to marketing in a normal business. So it's, a lot, it's hard for people because there's not a demand for it. You have to create the demand. I, th- I, if you're I, a thought, he was, I thought he was doing like spreadsheet coaching from the name of his business, Excel yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Excel. It was something like that. It was just something really, <laughs> something really broad. I can't remember, but I, ch- I changed it around to the no bullshit tradie. Um, and he's got literally he had over ten thousand people tune into one of his Facebook lives because of the name of the the page went a bit viral. And he's he's literally got it to a point now where he made hundred k in the first four weeks. And I'm flying him from Sydney to Melbourne to do an interview on Monday, um, paying for him to fly because I, I want to get the case study in because like it's just ridiculous like it, we we will high five forever around the office about that stuff like when uh his mindset coach came in and told me that he'd just gone because i knew he'd gotten in the first week he made 20k or something and then when i found out that he'd made that much after four weeks we're high-fiving celebrating jumping shouting like we just love it it's the most exciting part of the whole journey so yeah you guys will see that go up on the website soon if you go to winninginternational.com it's got out previous case studies like the darren's one the 35k in three weeks and there's probably a 30 minute interview discussing his journey wendy the lady that uh, had the 15k product i've got the interview there that goes for probably 30 minutes as well maybe 40 minutes because i talk about the highs the lows the ups and downs because business is not straightforward and it's not just yeah 35k like they had to go through crap to get there and i want to share that journey <laughs> with people when i do interviews so people can see, so the people that are walking to get into it or coaches that are walking to get into it, understand the truth behind what it takes, not just say, oh, and that's out of reach, but understand that you're still going to hit roadblocks, but these are the roadblocks they hit. Here's how they overcame them to get results. Yeah. So Okay. So there's a, there's a key element there that I want to ask you about that uh, makes this all work. And, um, you know, we interviewed James Shramko a few, uh, on a previous interview, and he also said that it's really easy to earn awesome. six figures as a service provider. And what he said is a big part of it is profiling your customers and manifesting your ideal customer. Um, you know, knowing totally. who they are and being able to identify the people that even have $15,000 to spend on your services. Like, uh, a lot of people, like, they can't make that, like, there's a gap there. I feel like there's a big gap between people who are charging, um, you know, $75 an hour for consulting and a $15,000 uh, clients and package. Mm. So, the so, qu- so how 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 do you help them to to manifest to even find that person? Like if um, you know, because a lot of marketing a lot of marketing messages fail. Like they don't reach the right market, or it's the wrong message, or yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So how how do you help them to even get those? How do you help that woman to get those four clients at fifteen thousand? Yeah, so it's a great question. <clears throat> what it's based around is first and foremost having a product that's delivering value that is worth that amount. I think that's the the reason that most people fail because they're putting out a, because 81% of coaches fail. That's the stats in the first three years. And it's because they get overwhelmed or they never get traction. And the reason they get never, never get traction most of the time is because they're selling a lot of the time an ingredient as opposed to an outcome. So they're, they might be really great at helping people through fear. And so they call themselves the fear coach, whereas people don't walk around saying, I need a fear coach, but they might walk around saying, you know, I hate my business or I hate my relationship or I hate my career or I hate my body. And so all these things that in their head is the biggest thing holding them back in their life. If someone offers a solution to that, a holistic results-based outcome, then they'll be willing to invest. Whereas if you're selling a, an ingredient like fear, that's not actually the whole solution. It's just the ingredient. It's just one part of it. You need to overcome fear to get into the gym. You need to overcome fear to approach women if you're a single guy you need to overcome fear to do sales if you're in business so fear is an ingredient that can help in lots of different ways but it's not an outcome so if you can actually start to sell an outcome you can be more premium because people uh people will be willing to invest to solve it but they might not be willing to invest to get some snippets of an ingredient and that's really important that's probably one of the key factors so that first and foremost the second thing i would say to the the guys that are kind of trying to figure out how they can get people to pay uh, or have a more premium product and find that avatar is that they need to rid themselves of any stories around costing and pricing. A lot of people look at price price points and just think no one would just no one would pay that. You know, no one would pay that. But that's nonsense because 
if someone wants something badly enough, they will. I was 19 years old as a dating coach selling 30-year-old people into a $5,000 four-week dating course. And if I had that, if I told myself the story, or oh, people don't know about a dating coach, they'll never pay for that, then I would never have got anyone because when I spoke to them, I would have conveyed that. And we're talking about manifesting here. Um, they would have had the energy that suggests that, yeah, it is actually really, really hard to to you know get people to pay and yeah they, they'll never pay that so i'll never try but if you can tell yourselves empowering stories which you have the choice over you you can choose what your beliefs are which is the freedom of of choice and we talk about stories all the time here and at our office with our team <laughs> it's just a fun thing that we're always throwing out if someone says you know oh sorry i was late you know traffic was awful it's just like not story <laughs> it's like the truth is you could have got here but you got to come from cause tell yourself a positive story that you can you could have got here <laughs> <laughs> I, I, read, I read an article that recently that said, you know, rather than say sorry that I'm late, uh, say thank you for waiting. Thank you for being patient. Instead, <laughs> instead of saying sorry, just, just say thank you. <laughs> That's a great reframe. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, a lot so, of it comes down to the narrative that you're telling yourself and that you're telling others. And I can only imagine, yeah. like, you, you mentioned having excuses, like secret excuses, alibis that people walk around with. And I can only imagine what you must have dealt with as a 19-year-old. Um, your age must have been working against you, but somehow you must have either made that irrelevant or you turned it into a strength, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, in this case, I made it irrelevant. But in other businesses, I've made my age a strength um, because obviously when it comes to online and I've run digital agencies, people look at the younger generation and assume they know more about this stuff. So it was actually an advantage. And obviously in this, so that was in the digital agency. And in this business, I try to say, well, if I'm 23 and I've built a multi-seven-figure multi coaching business and I'm 23, then I can teach you to do it as an experienced 30-year-old or 40-year-old uh, who's been doing this for ages. If I could do it in two years as a 23-year-old, you can do it in 10 years as a 40-year-old. Um, so I try to use that as a strength, as an example, as being a role model to show other people what's possible. So, yeah, it's, it's 100% true. And I love, the, I, love, I love the languaging you use around things as well. Oh, narr- <laughs> I, I always, I always yeah. try to turn weaknesses into strengths. I think that's a big part of it. You know, even if you're under underfunded or undercapitalized, I mean, you're flexible. You know, you can do a lot. You can you can try a lot. You know, awesome. and um, I, I can see how like I like your uh, uh, example. Like you have a better grasp of technology because you had your first iPad when you were what, like 17, right? <laughs> Something like that. I, I, think I, was, I think I was 27 when I first had my iPad. So you were 10 years ahead of me there. So pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've definitely got it up on you there. <laughs> but then you look around and you see five-year-olds carrying an iPod playing games, and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> they're going to be millionaires by the time they're 11, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> no doubting it. No doubt. I, I, yeah, just, cool, so I just saw the uh, – I, I probably shouldn't share this, but I saw uh, Neighbors 2 last night, and uh, it was really funny. In the beginning, they were having a conversation about this guy who built an app, and he just did a, like a TED Talk and all this stuff, and it was basically just an app that makes your, your junk look bigger. Basically, <laughs> I saw that. I actually went and saw that. I see like movies. Movies is one of my things. Like I just watch any movies pretty much when they come out. Well, I said it's ridiculous, but it looked funny, and I was like, yeah, wouldn't mind going and having a laugh. It wasn't a very good. Movie. It wasn't a very good movie, but I did like that reference. No, it wasn't. My my girlfriend had to drag me in to see it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a way. Well, that's funny. Um, well, cool, man. Well, thank you for uh, you know sharing being so generous with your time and your knowledge here. That's okay. It's been a blast. Is there anything that you'd like to talk about that I should ask you about that I haven't yet? Um, If there's guys watching along, what do you think? What percentage of people watching do you reckon are in business? What percentage of people are actually in business? Yeah, or or wanting to be in business. Um, I think a lot of people have businesses or blogs, you know, but they they encounter common struggles, you know, where maybe they're, they're not monetizing successfully or maybe... They're trying marketing, but they're not getting the results they want. And so in this show, I really try to, to dig into that and, you know, kind of break the process down in steps and, and see how they yeah, can right. reach that other side, you know, bridge that, that gap from where they are to where they want to go. Yeah, awesome. So, all right, there's two, two things that I'll kind of, if, if you're happy to, wrap up the, the interview with that I honestly believe if I could be told any two things starting again that I would just love to know 100% starting out. Um, I would pay for it. Like, if I could know these things again, it would make all the difference for me. And it's not necessarily strategies or ideas. It's legitimately what you have to do to be successful. Um, the first of which, which I believe is a massive secret weapon, is decision-making. 
and it sounds broad, sounds basic, but when I say decision-making, I mean making decisions in the short term that influence your outcome in the long term. And so I'll give you some examples. When, when starting winning, I invested in a $50,000 mentor that put my back against a wall, um, and I had to fight my way out, shutting down my digital agency before that. It, was, it made it really, really tough, but I only made that decision in a split second. I actually sourced this mentor out and said, I'll give you 50K to be your biggest case study because I wanted my back against the wall because I wasn't moving quickly enough without it because I was so scared. So I knew that if I actually put myself in a situation where I had to make it happen, then I would. But the bottom line behind that is that that was a decision and it took me a second to make decision, that decision, but then moving forwards, the whole next 12 months was dictated by that one decision and there's no way on earth I would have hit seven figures in 10 months if I hadn't made that decision. That's one decision. Recently, I wanted to uh, film more videos, so I hired a full-time videographer. Decision, made it in a split second, but then over the next couple of months, I filmed over 100 videos because I had a videographer. So you mentioned that that, that interview before, uh, the, sorry, the, the video that I filmed in a city, that was because I had videographers, I have to be creative, I had to use it. But before that, I wasn't filming as many videos as I should have because I had to rely on my willpower to get it done all the time and I hated the editing process and whatever. I had my own stories around it. But then I had a videographer. I had zero excuses. I had to do it. Um, so I made the decision. It's like recently with my health as well, I wasn't going to the gym enough because it wasn't fitness and health wasn't high enough up on my values list. Um, I was business and, and love. My, my partner is way higher than that. Um, so I was like, what can I do? What decision can I make to force myself to make this easier and not rely on willpower all the time? I pretty much paid for boot camp for six months up front, which wasn't super expensive. Um, maybe for the like for someone that's kind of starting out a business, it might be. But bottom line is, I invested in that, and then I don't even think about it. I just go now because I have to because I bought it, I purchased it. So yeah, that's, that's a great point that you brought up. I mean, decision making is a superpower, and especially when you don't get locked into just making trivial decisions all the time. Because yeah. uh, people, you, you made a great point. Because people that are locked in scarcity, you know, they're only thinking about the short term. You know, they don't oh, look at the cool. long-term vision. And you're, when you have like an abundance mindset and you're, you're creating, you know, new opportunities and, and pushing the envelope, you're thinking about the long-term and yeah. you're also looking at the, the hidden costs of things when you uh, do things or rolling for the short-term and how that can backfire. Yeah. And and I could have kissed you when I heard you say long-term. <laughs> the amount of people that neglect the, the long-term versus short-term and how you need to be a long-term thinker in business is just everyone pretty much. So everyone, just, and, and we've all made this mistake too. I feel like, you know, like I, I tried, yep. I spent months trying to figure out how to format my book when I could have easily hired somebody for a hundred dollars, you know, and then boom, that decision's <laughs> taken care of in an afternoon. But I spent yep. you know, two months trying to, to teach myself how to, how to format a, a Kindle book. And, you know, I lost like two, three months I had to push back yeah. my release because of that when I could have just paid $100 and saved myself three yeah. months of time. 100%. Or if you didn't want to pay for it, you, to force yourself to make it happen quicker, you could just made a decision to do a Facebook post, announce a launch date for your book. And so everyone that you know and tag a bunch of people in it, say, hold me accountable. And that decision, you've, you've got to get it done. So any decisions you can make that influence the future just by making a small, quick decision, from my point of view, is just absolute genius it's just shortcutting the process you're putting your willpower to the side and you pretty much put a firecracker up your butt to get things happening a lot quicker i just love that that's that's the first one that's the first biggie i would do it's kind of embracing fear doing the thing because they're not easy decisions you're going to make but they influence the future so you're kind of having an, an edge up on people that aren't willing to make decisions like that by speeding up your process completely even if you're not productive normally even if you aren't resourceful you become resourceful in those situations when making decisions like that. So that's the first thing. The second thing I'll go through is a massive hack or the biggest kind of switch in paradigm that I made starting out in this business that made this business way quicker and more successful than my previous businesses was I made a decision to not give a crap about the outcome of short-term actions and only give a crap about the outcome of my long term. So I pretty much, I was willing to fail in a micro scale so I didn't have to fail on a macro scale. Most people are so scared of launching one campaign or doing one sales call just in case it doesn't work out. And because they've got so much fear around failing in the short term and on a micro scale, they actually, they actually fail on a macro scale. So as I said, 81% of coaches fail. That is ridiculous. But they, they fail on a macro scale because they were never willing to fail on a micro scale. Yeah. So when you're starting out in business, be willing to fail. Don't care if you launch a market, like a 
Five webinars in a row and they all fail. Make a commitment to launch a webinar a week for the next five years and you're, you're sorted. You know, I, I, think, soon- I think a lot of people put their identity into their business and, you know, the things they, they take a risk on and, yep. um, you know, they're putting their name out there and that's, that's a little bit terrifying. It's almost like standing in front of an audience and, uh, mm, you know, yep. they hate your speech, they boo you off the stage. So that's why people take it so personally. But if, yeah. if, you, can, if you can zoom out and, like you said, have a framework, a marketing framework mm-hmm. where um, you're just saying, like, look, this month I'm going to increase the number of prospects by 20% or something like this. And if you're able to just look at it objectively – uh, and then everything yep. just becomes a test or an experiment. It's not something you take personally. Exactly. And if you can, you can win the game by your frequency of action on the business, but you can lose the game from your infrequency. And because, like you said, most people are attached to that perfection and they're so scared of that failure in the short term because they symbolically, especially when they're doing something they're passionate about, they attach so much to the outcome of that microactivity because they think that's symbolic for their whole business. So, oh, if that Facebook ad doesn't work, maybe my business couldn't work or maybe I was never destined to do this as opposed to going, cool, I'm 100% going to make this work because I'm going to do this for the rest of my life and I'm going to out-action anyone, not out-work because it's not about time investment in the business, but I'm going to do more more on the business stuff than anyone else and that's going to set you free. That's going to allow you to absolutely crush it in your business uh, and do really well by not giving a crap about the outcome of what you do. And I say it very intensely because I used to, and it stopped me. And then when I launched 12 seminars in 10 weeks, launching winning, some people had time, sometimes I had three people rock up. And before that would have been my worst nightmare, but you know, I didn't care because I was going to do it every week anyway until I made it successful. So the week I had three people, I closed three people. It was, it was great. It turned into a positive because I didn't care. And I made the decision to detach, to not give a crap about the outcome. So that would 100% be my true little, um, the things that now objectively, looking back at my experience and starting again, the things that stopped me the most were trying to rely on willpower and being scared of making decisions and the fact that I was so caught up in, in micro failure. But now making big decisions all the time, um, like for example, I was, you know, organizing this event in the US, so I'm going to have to outlay 30 something thousand dollars to run this event with a big thought leader that's got over 2 million YouTube subscribers. Uh, it's, it's a risk. It's, it's a big investment. Um, and it's not something I want to get financial return from, but I'll do it because it's a decision that's going to force me to grow. So it's, it's those decisions that you can make that make the big difference. So yeah, they're my two pieces of advice. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. great advice. And especially just not caring about the outcome, you know, not just doing and, you know, giving value and, um, you know, like I can totally relate because I, I'll post something in a Facebook group like I did yesterday and, um, you know, some, some hater, some guy just wanted to like make a funny comment, you know, and yeah. um, I just said, well, thank you for the comment. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to reply back or argue with him because I, I realized that uh, there's, there's a saying that, you know, if you wrestle with a pig, uh, you'll get dirty and the pig likes it. So just, <laughs> just stay above the, the fray. That's great. That's great. I love that. Just say thank you. <laughs> if you're a wrestle with a pig. Big that you can hit dirty in the big luck. Yeah, That's great. Exactly. Couldn't be more accurate. <laughs> I actually read a Seth Godin thing the other day on how to deal with haters or negative clients. It's like sometimes you have people that are super negative, but they're you know they act childish. It's like a child. If you were to look at a child like a toddler, and the toddler's screaming and whinging because we know their mind hasn't completely developed. You know what we do is we smile at them, we give them a lollipop, and then walk away. <laughs> but what we do is we you know we don't. When you've got like a, a hate or a negative person, you usually, again, like you said, if you wrestle with them, you're gonna, it's going to be beneficial for no one, um, maybe <laughs> them, if anything. But if you treat them like a toddler and just give them a lollipop, smile, and then walk away, then you, you walk out a winner versus the opposite. I thought it was a really cool little metaphor. No, there's no sense in arguing with a toddler. You'll just make yourself look more ridiculous. So. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love that analogy. Well, thank you so much for your time, uh, Ryan. So if, if someone wants to learn more about you, uh, what, should, what steps should they take next? Okay, cool. So thank you. They should go to winninginternational.com. So winning international, just said as, it's, uh, as those words are spelled, winninginternational.com. And then check out our value on there. There's lots of free resources. Just if you need anything more than that, don't hesitate to re- reach out through social media. So you can just type in Winning International to uh, Facebook and you'll find our page. Our branding is very, very bright. So it stands out a lot, very colorful. 
And so you won't miss it. And then obviously my name's Ryan Madges. So if you go to the winning.com, winninginternational.com site, you'll see, see me on there and then you can find me through Facebook as well. There's two Ryan Madges in the world uh, with my crazy spelling of a couple of Zs in my last name. So if you go to uh, Facebook, I'm the one that's in Melbourne in Australia, not in the US. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, thanks so much for having me on, Danny. It's been great. Yeah, thank you. So that's winninginternational.com and uh, Ryan, your last name is spelled M-A-G-D-Z uh, Z if you're in the U.S. I-A-R-Z-Z-A-D.com and uh, thank you so much again. Yeah, it was, it was great. You shared a lot of uh, insights and, and value in this call. I know that I'm going to, uh, I always try to take something from every interview I, I do and implement it. So I have a couple of things I'm going to implement. I love your idea of, I love some of your creative marketing ideas. I love the seven day awesome. challenge that you talked about. I mean, right now I'm just offering a free audio book, but I could do so much more to, to, uh, on the front of my funnel. And, um, also the back end that you gave me some great ideas for creating some premium products. Yeah. Great. No, I'm glad you got some value from it. It's been awesome. I think you've got a big heart. I think you're a very smart guy. Um, I love the way that you ask questions and I loved your, how engaged you were. It was awesome. So thanks. No, seriously, like really digging in deep and asking some great questions. So thank you so much. And you're doing some great stuff with the people watching. So the guys watching along, you're lucky to have such a great leader to, to provide value for you guys. So thanks so much, Danny. It's been an absolute blast and look forward to talking to you again soon. Same to you, Ryan. And thank you for uh, having a big heart and giving so much value as well. Take care. Thank you, mate.